Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our first guest today is Judy Wolf, and our topic is Healing the Soul. Judy is an ordained interfaith minister who lost her 16-year-old son, Joe, and then embarked on a quest to discover how one heals the heart and soul after this. She is the author of Spiritual Life Rafts, Women's Stories of Profound Loss, Courage, and Healing. Welcome to the show, Judy. Thank you. Hi, Judy. It's great to have you on the show. Um, I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about Joe and uh, what happened with him. Yeah. Uh, Joe is my oldest son. He was 13 at the time. He and um, five or six other boys were walking home from church one day, um, kind of throwing snowballs and, and were restless and running around a bit, and as they were walking home, just a few hundred feet, really, from the church, a neighbor stopped by on the opposite side of the road and offered the boys a ride home. Um, A couple boys ran across, got in the car, and then my son threw uh, one more snowball and turned, went to uh, run and get in the car, and uh, an oncoming car in the opposite lane um, hit him. Uh, He suffered... uh, a traumatic brain injury, a very severe traumatic brain injury, uh, so much so that we we fully anticipated um, as he was rescued um, from the pavement and life-flighted to the uh, primary children's hospital here in Salt Lake City that he might not live uh, more than an hour or two. As he looked very, his when we saw him on the pavement, he looked very, um, his eyes were fully dilated. Um, he wasn't breathing. Uh, he was in seizure uh, some of the time. So we fully anticipated we lost him uh, completely that evening. But um, as it turned out, um, he lived on. He survived the accident, but he never really recovered. Um, he never recovered in a meaningful way. Well, you, your story is one of the books that I read, and uh, it, one of the stories that I read in your book, Spiritual Life Wraths, and um, it's one of the stories I thought it was interesting. It's kind of at the back. But uh, uh, one of the, I wanted to just, before we get into some of the other stories, just hit on a couple of things that came up for me from reading your story. And, and one of them uh, was, and I know our audience out there <clears throat> who've had brain-injured children who've, who've lived for a certain amount of time can resonate with your being in the hospital. Um, I used to actually work on a surgical service, so I was... Uh, been involved with families where there've been accidents and, and children who are comatose, and then go into the vegetative state where they have to move them out of the hospital into a facility. I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, um, I know how difficult it is to take those kids home mm-hmm. um, because the intensity of care and there are all sorts of insurance issues that I thought, well, our audience has all those because once you get them out of the hospital, you don't get the insurance anymore, right? Right. That's one of the. Um dilemmas that parents go through is they want to bring them home. Their instincts are bring them home because it might actually help um, jog something or it might help spur them to a new stage of of recovery. But while you're in the hospital, if you have good insurance, you're pretty much covered for everything and you drop off a cliff when you bring them home. That's what I would think. I'm listening to this, Judy, thinking how scary it must be to feel like, okay, now they're home and it's up to me 
to make sure that they stay alive and I'm not in the hospital. But like right. you said, on the other hand, putting them in a comfortable environment that they know might might be healing. Right, and, and we do get, I mean, the nurses used to tell me they get, they used to get things they called the weekend recovery where a family takes a child home even just for a day because you can't check them out or, the, or they lose their inpatient status, but they'll bring oh, them wow. home for a day. And something will start to happen at home that they didn't see happening in the hospital. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you listen to these stories, of course, with great um, intensity, great hope that your child, too, will... And that's one of the things you said in in your piece is that the miracle story was irritating, you know, yeah, more than especially irritating. with a coma. Yeah. <laughs> more than irritating. Yeah. yeah. And I understand people's need to tell it. I if I were on the other side of that, I probably you probably could not shut me up um, if we had had a recovery. <laughs> right. So I understand that. But but there and and then as you said the the, you're on a unit with other children, and the parents come to take them home, and they're balloons, and everybody's happy. Right. And and when you take Joe, he, he went to a step-down facility unit for three months, I believe, before you. About uh, 13 months. He oh, was 13. Actually, yeah, he was in the hospital 16 months altogether, so he really did have the benefit of the very best, right. um, you know, care, medicine, care, therapy, uh, drugs, a neurologist, you know, an attending neurologist. He, we gave him everything in the hopes that, some little piece might come back. Right, and then you took him, and he did smile, which is another heartbreaker. You know, yeah, they smile, the and then you thing. think maybe they're going to move on from there. Well, and he would smile, because um, the doctors even, I asked several of them, why can't, why is he smiling if he's in a vegetative state? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, they do that reflexively. Um, and wow. I said, well, no, I want you to watch next time, especially his dad comes in to the hospital, mm-hmm. and he leans over and says something kind of smart-alecky or brings out, toilet humor or something, mm-hmm. and Joe will sometimes chuckle even and laugh and eats very responsively, and so it was confusing, and they said, we don't know why sometimes that happens. That's interesting. So it's a very, you get these little kind of, um, we now know they're false alarms, but you get this little part of you that says, oh, we've, we've been so patient and we've been so good, now we're about to see our Joe come back, and He'll chuckle or laugh out loud and then nothing. And then you hear these stories, as you know all too well, of people like on the Internet or whatever, people that years later all of a sudden snap, you know, come out of these things suddenly. Well, yeah, no, those there's are, no explanation. Those are extremely painful for parents um, like us who mm-hmm. fought the good fight and did everything we could and then our, our children die. Um, and then we hear, you know, in the news, like you do, that mm-hmm. one out of about ten thousands of people um come back and say a few words, sometimes that's it. They go back into their vegetative state or coma after saying a few words. Sometimes they they don't ever really get up and resume that I know of um, a so-called normal life. They've right. been out of it for years. So you had Joe home for two years and yeah. and took care of him, was that right? Right. And he was quite large by then, wasn't he? Yeah, he got, he got big. He was almost six feet tall and 185 wow. pounds. Wow, uh, that is... Yeah, incredible to try to take care of that young man. I think of somebody that's in a coma that they don't grow, but they do grow. Yes, all the same physical um, changes that a from a 13-year-old boy to an almost 17-year-old young man. That's wow. a, that's incredible to think about that, and all all while their their body still does its thing. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about the fact that you lost him twice. Well, I often refer to it as um, the long goodbye, um, which had two distinct parts to it. Um, when he was hit, you know, and he survived, uh, and for 
several two years after after that, we had, of course, the hope. It was a fading hope, um, as there was no evidence of recovery, but there was a hope nonetheless that some part of him would return, um, and no. No part of him returned except the little smile and chuckle and, and a sense that he was still him in there somewhere, um, but it was more just a sense. So we had to get, we had to say goodbye while he was still alive, if that makes sense. We would mm-hmm. look at him. To the boy you had thought you had, yes. Right. Right. We had to say goodbye to that boy and you leave knew. it in the past because if you looked at him always through the eyes of who he used to be, you would be in a permanent um, stage of mourning. Mm-hmm. My husband used to call it, he said, I feel like I'm at a permanent viewing in my own home because mm-hmm. Joe would be, you know, in the bed, not mm-hmm. moving, and it kind of looks that way. That so, you, so you gave him that goodbye, and then after he died, you had to give him that final goodbye. Talk about that a little bit, because I know a lot of our families have been taking care of kids for years and, and had that loss or had cancer or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just also, um, I mean, it might be like taking care of an aging parent. I don't know because I haven't done that. Um, yeah, directly, it reminds but... me a little bit of, of my mother-in-law who has Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had to say goodbye to the, I had to say goodbye to the woman that I knew, that I once knew. Right, because you can't really be present with somebody and be attentive to who are you right now, today, mm-hmm. if you're always dwelling in who you used to be. I wanted you to talk about that final goodbye. Is there a guilt involved or uh, or a wondering or a why? Or I don't know. How is that? Well, I think for the... us it was, I mean, if I were to be very frank, it was relief. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because I saw what his life would look like had he remained alive in here. And what it would look like is I would get to the point of exhaustion and my family would be exhausted with this whole 24-hour care situation. And he would move to a care center Hopefully the best one I could find, but, you know, they're not, none of us, I think, would choose if we could to move into any of these. Um, right. There are not a lot of them available for kids either. It's not like, not like nursing homes. So you, then, felt a, you felt a bit of sense of relief when he did die. But then there is, uh, people tell me that there is that loss because you've been, had that activity. You right. almost have to reorganize your life. Uh, yeah, you know. it's very shocking to, you know, after the funeral and um, everybody goes home and, you, then it's Monday morning, and you look at that empty bed and all of the medical supplies and the wheelchair and everything else, and you just say, well, now who am I, who am I and what do I do for a living? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you, and you, by the way, had become a minister, and right. I liked what you said in the book that uh, you really did it to take care of yourself while he was living because right. you had to find something for yourself or you were going to, Yeah, I had know. to find something that was not about... Um, uh, medical, you know, have, taking care of somebody medically fragile and death and dying. I wanted to reach for something outside that and say, I have no idea um, how to live with this situation, live with him the way he is, but I'm going to pick something that might help. So I went to an interfaith seminary. So, uh, yeah, uh, I want to talk a little bit about the book because I think it's uh, really it's got some wonderful stories in it. I liked it because you you kind of interviewed as a sort of as an interfaith minister, would you say? Yeah. And you talked to the, these people, and you talked to Ellen, who who um, 
you know, who was said that she was a grief junkie. I thought that after two years, and I thought, aren't we all after only two years, Ellen? Yeah, I love that term. She, she yeah, I like that term too, grief junkie. But she did something which I thought was great. She uh, runs for the cure for breast cancer on Mother's Day because that's a hard day for her. And right. I thought that's kind of a neat thing to do. And then uh, Brenda is in there. Her husband was murdered. She's a Mormon, so I would think that she'd probably be comforted with life after. Life after death, and Marion, who is uh, Arabic, Arabic, and Jean, who's a Buddhist, talked about letting go. And then you even have Laura, who's a uh, uh, Wicca, right. which uh, neo paganism, which was interesting, and and she talked about transition and to deepen and transform you. So I like the way and Elizabeth. Um, whose daughter died with strep journals, and she's a Christian. I love the way you took these stories about different different women, and I, I would suggest to people that they get this book. I think they'll uh, find it very healing and fascinating and find their own stories there. And Judy's story um, is in the last, which is really um, really an, an incredible story. So Judy, how would they get a hold of your book? Um, they can go to www.spiritualliferaths.com. Okay, and and pick it up from there. Can you yep. get it on? Uh, it's also on Amazon. Okay, good. It's on Amazon, and we also have it on our um, website. Well, I wanted to talk about tour in the book. There are seven lessons learned, which I really uh, thought were great. I was Heidi and I were looking over today and talking about how we like them, mm-hmm. and um, I'm going to go over a couple of. We're not going to have time to really talk about every one, but I'm going to say what they are, and then um, then we'll pick out a couple. Or do you want to say what they are, Judy? Can you? Say them quickly. Oh, yeah, I, can, I can summarize them. And okay. It, they're kind of universal lessons learned, uh, even though each person walked a very individual path. The first one is healing is a choice, sometimes the hardest one for someone to hear um, when they're bereaved. Second, healing is unique, like your fingerprint. Third, healing takes time, and it's hard work. For healing is messy. I really like the healing is messy. Thank you, like Yeah. It's very messy, as you know. Five, healing is holistic. Uh, Six is healing requires community. And lastly, seven, healing is promoted by gratitude and service. These are wonderful seven uh, uh, lessons. And when you get the book, you'll find that 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 Judy's expanded on them. They're really quite quite amazing. Um, Heidi, we were talking about that last one, where it is promoted by gratitude and service. Yeah, I love that. And, and you know, I just read something today by Ralph Waldo Emerson, and he says, it is one of the most beautiful compensations of life that no man can sincerely try to help another without helping himself. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so true. Yeah, I mean, being of service to help others in any way, even well, if you're just sharing your story. You know, we always say to people um, that the first person you need to be of service to is yourself. Wouldn't you mm-hmm. say, Judy, on that very yeah. first day is... Yeah, you can't. You used to have a saying um, we got in seminary that you cannot serve from an empty well, mm, and that, like that rang true for me. I had to fill my well as best I could each morning in centering, um, in a centering prayer or practice, and then from that well I could, I could share my surplus. I like that. I like the idea of kind of that centering in the morning when you're ready to do it. I mean. Uh, Early on, I don't think I could have centered on anything. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, Scott died suddenly, so you know the shock of of that whole thing is difficult. 
Um, but I always think, you know, I say to people when they're going to go to Compassionate Friends or whatever, and, and that fits into community, maybe we could talk about that a little bit, is that if you can just take a cookie, when you feel well enough to take a cookie for people, that's the beginning. Right, right. And even just being attentive to their story is a way of serving them. Oh, I like that, too. What about community? Oh, go ahead, Heidi. I was just going to say, even just going up and giving someone a hug at a meeting, sometimes we don't have to say anything because we've been there, and just reaching out physically is enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and and uh, church communities, uh, uh, I don't know, what other kind of communities, Judy? Or, well, I always encourage people to, because um, I get calls either from newly um, bereaved parents or their or their best friends <laughs> and the best friend calls are really interesting because they're they're really desperate they say we don't know what to do to help her or him um she doesn't seem to be doing very well uh, we just don't know what to say anymore or what to do and so i say let's look at their let's go inside their natural support system because one of the hardest things about going to grief groups or into therapy is to walk into a room full of strangers mm-hmm. um, with the the biggest, the most shattered heart you've ever felt and expose yourself. So I always say, let's start with the natural support. Who in among their family, their friends, their church circles, where do they hang out, particularly in small groups, if there are two, three, four groups. Oh, that's, a, that's a wonderful idea. For you out there who are brief, make sure that you also look to your natural support groups. However, sometimes... You have to find new, safe people. Well, Judy, it's time to close our show, and I want to thank you so much for being on. And do you have one last uh, quick comment you'd like to make for our audience? Yes, I, I, I want to encourage your audience, if they're newly bereaved, to um, carry on because we promise that if you carry on with the memory and honoring of your loved one, but moving forward in your own life, we promise there will be a better day for you. Oh, thank you so much, Judy Wolf. Thanks, Judy. You're welcome. Thank you. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.